No one misuses the word hope more than a Cowboys fan. (laughs) And that became very painfully obvious on Thursday night. You see, when we misuse the word hope, it can lead us to all kinds of falsities in our lives about where we expect our life to go, not only in eternity, which is what you expect to hear about at church, but also in the daily things that we live our lives for, work and job and the hopes of our government and the hopes in our society. And hope misplaced or hope placed in the wrong things will always lead our life off track and in the wrong place. So we have to make sure that although we may be a cowboy fan in here, you don't hope like a cowboy. We want to hope like Christians. We want to hope not that maybe over the past 30 years, the Cowboys may have went to a Super Bowl knowing that there is no possible way the Cowboys were going to a Super Bowl in the past 30 years. Uh, That's not hope. That's called foolishness. But what is hope? Biblically speaking, hope is the expectation or confidence in something's ability to actually happen. Right? You see what I'm saying? We've hijacked this word hope in our culture, uh, and you, maybe when you were in middle school or high school, like me in math class, you said, I hope I passed this test that I didn't study for. And as a matter of fact, I didn't even know that test was today. Right? That's not hope. Right? Hope is knowing, hey, you know what? I studied for this test. I have worked for this test, and I know what this test is about. And so I have this hope, this reality, this expectation that the outcome is going to be that in which I prepared my life for. And that is indeed the hope of the Christian faith. Not not that I can work myself to God, not that I can work and make myself right in the eyes of God because that is impossible. But hope is by trusting in the right thing and seeing the right things and making the choices in my life that will give me my hope, a eternal place with Christ in heaven is a place that I can sit knowing that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens to my job or in my family, that I can rest assured that there is an expectation of what is to come, a hope that many people in our culture don't have the benefit of having. We live in a culture where hope stands to reason is this, that I'm going to do everything I can right here and now to preserve my life for next week. I'm going to do everything I can to preserve my life for next month or next year. That isn't hope. That's a neglect of hope. We have a hope in Christ that we can have, not only next week and the week after that, to trust in Christ, to live our lives for him, but in eternity. And that's the hope that the Apostle Paul is talking about in the book of Colossians. Go ahead and turn open right to the front page. We're an expository preaching church, so that means we're going to start where it all starts in a letter in verse 1. But for you and for me, we have to understand that hope is a necessary uh, promise of Scripture. Without hope, there is no promises. There is no no faith if we don't first have hope. The, The writer of Proverbs knew this very well. In Proverbs 13, 12, it says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. See, the writer of this proverb knew something. Hope deferred, or me not being able to place my hope where it needs to be, makes the heart sick. Well, don't we live in a society of a lot of sick hearts? Don't we live in a society where people's lives reflect this lack of hope that they have? As a matter of fact, you can see in the culture that we live in, people put their hopes in the wrong things, like governments and medicine, and uh, politics, or jobs, and then you look at their life, and what you see reflected in their life is a sick heart. 
You see people who are never content. You see people who are always longing for something more, something better, and something that's more sufficient and significant, and they can't find it in these things that when our hope is deferred. We all have to make sure that we have a desire or longing in the Hebrew of our hope to be fulfilled. And there's only one place this morning where your hope is ever going to find a fulfillment, and that is in Christ. And that's what Paul writes this letter to uh, the Colossians. Because here's what's going on in the Colossae. It might be good for you to take down these notes because we're going through a lot of the same things. In a church in Colossae, as Paul's writing to them in the first century A.D., uh, Paul's writing to a group of Christians at a new church. It's pretty cool, isn't it? We're about to read a letter about a new church, and we are a new church? How great is that? Can't say that every week. But we have, like Paul in the church in Colossae, where Paul was writing to these people who gave their lives to Christ, in that, that they repented of their sins and they trusted in him, that they turned away from their sin and understanding that it was that sin that caused a separation between them and God, and they turned from that, and they trusted in Christ. But here's a problem in Colossae, a lot of problems that we face these days, is in Colossae, there were these groups of people, and there wasn't just one group, there was multiple groups. But two in particular, there was one group that believed in this big fancy word called Gnosticism, and I'm not even going to Gnosticism you by even talking about it. See, you can use that word wherever you want, people don't know what it means. Uh, Gnosticism is basically this new knowledge, or there's this knowledge that you can't have without this special revelation given to you by some far off big being in the sky. And so they said, listen, having faith in Christ is all good and dandy, but it's not going to get you where you want to go. You have to have this special knowledge that only I have. And so now these Christians are like, well, Epaphras, who planted this church, uh, a co-worker of Paul the Apostle, they said, well, Epaphras told us that we just had to repent of our sins and trust in Christ. And if we did that, that that was the sufficiency of our hope, that our hope is secured. But these people are telling me that it's not that way. There was another group of people, uh, a lot of Jewish converts, Jewish proselytes, who said, you know what? Believing in Jesus is great. We believe in Jesus, but we're also Jewish. And what does that mean for me? If I'm a Jewish person, that means I also have to fulfill the law. That means that I also have to, uh, if, I'm, if I'm a guy, I have to go through circumcision, right? I also have to keep certain holidays and certain festivals, and I have to eat certain ways and do certain things, or I might lose my hope in Christ, or I might not really have it if you don't do these things and fulfill these things. And so like you and I, the Colossians were dealing with people who said that Jesus isn't the only way. Like the Colossians, you and I deal with people in this society who say, you know what, it's fine if you believe in God, but don't bring up that Jesus guy. It's fine that we believe in God because everyone, in some sense, a very few atheists in this world, when you get down to the bottom of that, everyone believes that there's a God out there. But it's when you become exclusive in saying, it's Jesus Christ that gives me the hope for eternity, not my good works, not Buddha, not the pagan gods that they were even worshiping there in Colossae, but it was only in Christ that they could have this hope. And so Paul's writing this letter, and he says this, and it's the main theme of the letter, and you find it in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. That's not where we're going to start today, but we're going to get there to show you the theme of the letter of the Colossians. This is what Paul says in chapter 2, in verse 6. Therefore, Colossian church, therefore, Compass Bible church, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul's saying this, I know people are out there telling you that there's other ways to God. I know there's other people out there questioning you and calling you foolish because you believe in this son of man, the son of God, that God sent his son down here and somehow he came and lived a perfect life and made it all right. We know you believe in that, but why? 
And Paul's saying, now we know there's people doing that. We know there's people trying to add works into your salvation. We know there's people who are pointing their finger at you saying that why would you ever believe in such a thing? But Paul is saying here, just as you received Christ, and how did you receive Christ? Through believing in the word of truth that was preached to you. From hearing the gospel of repentance and faith and then responding to the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ by saying, I believe that Christ died for my sins. I therefore repent and turn away from the very things that hung Christ on the cross and I turn away from those things and I trust in the sufficient hope of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says, just as you receive Christ, just in that way, walk in him. Now what does it mean to walk in him? That means now that we have this hope in Christ, we're now walking in that direction. I'm no longer walking with the world, as Paul says. I'm no longer walking as children of darkness, but I'm walking as a child of light. And Paul continues in 7, and he says, this is how you walk in him. Everyone look at verse 7 there. This is how you walk in the faith that you've received in Christ Jesus. You do that by being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. For you and I, as we launch this church this week, we need to make sure that we're the kind of church that is rooted, that is built up, and is established in the faith. You know why? Because if you've trusted in Christ in here, you're going to have for the rest of your life people trying to uproot your faith. We're going to have people who try to tear down the faith that you have trusted in so dearly, and we're going to have a job to do as Christians, and that is to establish ourselves in the faith, an establish, an establishment. You know what an establishment is? It's, a, it's an institution, it's an organization that has roots deep in the ground that's been around, and it will continue to be around. And for you and I, to establish our faith means that we have a faith that is unwavering and unmovable, and it rests, as Paul will say here in the first part of Colossians, strictly in one thing, hope. And that's why we have to truly understand hope truly understand what it means for our lives and the implications that it has for today and for the rest of our lives. And with that, we're going to start a four-week mini-series. The big series is Colossians, right? King Jesus, the sufficiency of Christ. But in that long year-and-a-half, two-year series we're going to do, uh, we have a four-week mini-series, and that is how to have a healthy church and your part in that healthy church. And so with that, I want you to look at verse 5 there in Colossians. We're going to start at the last verse and work our way up. In verse 5, Paul says this, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He's saying because, because he's saying, listen, I've heard Epaphras came and told me when he planted you guys, after he planted you, he came to me and he told me all these great things that your church was doing. And he said, primarily, we saw two things, your faith in Christ and your love for the saints. And this is what Paul says in verse 5, you were able to do those two things because of the hope that was laid up for you in heaven. Okay, that's great. We all want to hope in heaven, don't we? Everyone, every religion has this hope of this afterlife. Most religions have a hope for this afterlife, for something that's going to come. And so that would be a great phrase to use in Colossae because everyone's like, yeah, we'd love to go to the afterlife. I want to be a god. You want to be a god. We all want to be gods, right? Uh, that's a great sentence. But Paul qualifies it by saying this in the rest of verse 5. Of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. And so Paul is making an exclusive statement by saying, listen, we all want hope, and you guys have hope, and that hope was found in one place, and it was in the gospel. You know, the, the gospel is just a word that means good news. And they say, this, you heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and because of that good news that you have heard and trusted in, you now have a hope, according to verse 5. Look at verse 5. You now have a hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Isn't that kind of what we do in our culture nowadays? We try to lay up things for ourselves, savings, retirement, 
Right? We're going to save for our kids for college. We, keep, we store these things up in hopes that these things will come to fruition in the future. But the difference is in the hope that is laid up for us in heaven is all those who are in Christ have a treasure, have the hope that is laid up for them in heaven, and it is rest secured, protected by the power of God himself that we will have, that there will be a return, that we will have this hope in this reality that we have an inheritance, unperishable, undefiled, awaiting for the return of Christ, that we may take possession of that promise. You see, the thing we have to all understand as humans, not just even as Christians, but as human beings, is we all have to place our hope somewhere. It's just a true fact of humanity, and even if you are a non-Christian in this room, I want you to think, where do you put your hope? Because it's somewhere. The reason you can wake up in the morning and take steps is because you said there's a hope somewhere, and I put my trust in it so I can do the things that I need to get done. But we got to understand that not all hope is created equal. Not all hope is created equal. There are not equal outcomes of the faith that people have. You can have a faith in earthly things. You can have a faith that the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl, but they're not. It's not equal faith. And the Tampa Bay Bucks might win the Super Bowl. That's a, that's a better faith to put your faith, hope into. But we've got to understand that not all hope is created equal. Actually, in verse 5, Paul describes where the Colossians' hope is located, and it's in heaven. And as a matter of fact, there are only two places your hope can be located. Isn't that good news for us simple guys? There's only two places. This isn't a multiple choice question with 10 answers and E for everything. Uh, This is two places. And you find those in Matthew 6. If you want to in your Bible, go ahead and flip over to Matthew 6. Jesus is finishing up in Matthew 6, one of the most famous sermons ever recorded, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this, Jesus says this. Matthew is in the first, first gospel. Open your book a little bit over half and you should be there. Maybe a little bit more than more than half. That Old Testament is old and big, okay? But there are two places, and he says that in Matthew 6, and he starts in verse 19. And he says this, makes no bones about it, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, or on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Well, Jesus already let the cat out of the bag there, right? There's one place that we can all put our hope, and it's right here on earth. Right here on earth, I can make sure I save up for my retirement, make sure I'm giving 16% to retirement, I'm giving 10% to savings, giving, you know, if I'm doing my, my job as a Christian, I'm giving 10% to the church, or, or within my means, whatever I'm giving to the church, that I've set apart in my heart, I'm giving to the church, and I've done all these things, I still have a little bit of money to go on vacation every year. Right? I mean, you can do those things, and if all of your hope and all of your faith is in you making sure that everything here on earth is taken care of while you're here, you're going to have a problem. And the problem that Jesus says is this, that when you store your treasure, when your hope is stored up in all these things on earth, you're going to have moths that destroy, not just, we're not just talking about moths here, he's not, he's not making a campaign on killing all the moths in the world here. What he's saying is all this stuff is destructible, all this stuff is passive. He's like, even your clothes that you try to wear all the time will, will erode and become unable to be worn. Like all these things that even you have on your body, these things aren't going to be here, they're going to be destroyed. And he keeps going, and he says, and rust will destroy, and thieves are going to break in and steal. I want you to think about in your own life, especially for you homeowners, like how much money did you spend on the security system in your house? What about the safe where you store all your important stuff? I mean, you realize how fleeting this world is because you try to store and protect everything, knowing that tomorrow that all that could be gone. And that's actually a very, very smart place to start as someone who's considering where their hope lies is to really consider in my life today, man, that is right. Where does my hope lie? 
What if my house burns down? What if someone breaks into my house and steals everything I have? What if the, the market crashes and I lose all my money? What if I get fired from my job? Those are all these things that I've been trusting in for the past 40 years so that I could retire at 67 years old. Those are all the things that I trusted in so my kids could go to college. But what if all those things were taken away? Where is your hope? I hope, as the pro- Proverbs say, that it's not a deferred hope, that you didn't just keep kicking the can down the field saying, eh, we'll figure it out when we get there. Well, we can't figure it out when we get there. We'll get that in a minute. The problem with trying to figure things out down the road. The problem is we don't know how long the road is in our life. But Jesus also says this, that there's another place you can store your hope. And he says that in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. There's a great place. You're going to get a good return in the things that you lay up there. Right? Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And here's the great thing about laying up your treasure in heaven. Moth can't get there to destroy it. Thieves can't get in there and break into it. And rust has no place in the kingdom of God. There's this beauty in this reality that when I can take my mind and my life off of the rat race of, of this world, that I can actually invest my time, my life, and my money, and my stewardship in things that are eternal. You know what things are eternal? Souls. Your kids' souls. Your grandkids' souls, right? The people that you're, sta- you're sitting here right with right now, their souls are eternal. Those are the things that Christ coming to earth said, you need to be paying attention to the things of God, the kingdom of God. Actually says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Then he says, come with me, follow me, and let's go tell people about the eternal things of this life. And just like the Colossians see, there's a lot of people going after the things of the world, and Christians ought to do everything but go after the world. And so what we have to do like verse 21 says in here, we got to figure out where our treasure is, all right? Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Wherever we find our treasures, you're going to look where your heart is, right? And I can look at your life, and the great thing about locations is they're geographical. I can tell you where your hope is when I look, because we can see where it is. Is it here on earth, or is it in heaven? Because it's going to be in one of the two. And that's why as Christians and non-Christians and human beings in this world, we need to do this, and it's point number one. We need to decide where your hope is located, we got to decide. we got to know there's two places, and we have to make the decision in our life to say, you know what, my hope is either here or my hope is here. And for those of you who think, well, if I just don't decide, I can sit in the middle. No, by not deciding, you've decided that your hope is going to be right here in the things that you can control. And for you and for me, we have to understand where our hope is located. Now, that's not the only step, as a matter of fact. There's, there's another step, and that's what we get to in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Because locating your hope your potential hope. Locating where you want to place your hope is the first step, but it's not the only step. There's a really big second step that we all have to take once we've located where our hope is. Look at verse 3 in Colossians 1. It says, Paul says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Sidebar right there, you ought to be praying, and you ought to be praying for people, and you ought to be thanking God for what God has done in the lives of other Christians. That's a sidebar, so we'll move on. But he says that we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, and right here, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. See, Paul thanks God that the Colossian church has their faith in Christ alone. See, once you locate where your hope is, you have to know how to receive the hope, okay? And I want you to pay attention to this right here because this is problematic, and this is where everyone stops when it comes to responding to the gospel if they choose not to. This is where people stop. You're telling me I can't just get to the hope? I can't earn the hope? I can't get that hope on me without doing something? Well, yes, you, you can't. As, as a matter of fact, 
Paul says in just a few verses down, starting in verse 12. Go ahead and look at that if you, if you have your Bible. Look at verse 12. This is what Paul says when it comes to having to receive the hope. Right? You don't just get the hope. You have to receive the hope. And here's what it says. That Paul, giving thanks to the Father, Paul's always given some thanks. And I love that about Paul. Right? He's always given thanks to the Father in verse 12. Who, and who, the Father, who has qualified you. Did you know you have to be qualified for the kingdom? Did you know that you have to be qualified in order to find your hope in heaven? Is that something you ever thought about? That you have to be qualified? That you can't qualify yourself. Somebody has to qualify you and say, you are now worthy and qualified to enter into the promise that is stored up for those who have hope in Christ. And he says, who has qualified you to share the hope and the inheritance of the saints. Verse 13, he has delivered us. Did you know you have to be delivered? Like you can't, you're like a package, right? And if a package doesn't leave the warehouse, it's not getting delivered to where it's going. And you as a box can't deliver yourself, right? Somebody has to take you, has to pick you up, put a stamp on you, put an address on you, and deliver you to where you're going. You're not getting there on your own. And it says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, so we know where our initial starting point is. We're in the domain of darkness. But Christ has delivered us and transferred us. He has shipped us to the transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption. Did you know you had to be redeemed? But you can't redeem yourself, right? You're not getting a you're not getting the price, right, that is earned when you trust in Christ. You hear what I'm saying? To be redeemed is you're you're redeeming something uh, without Christ, your redemption is Man, you're getting returned this, the penalty of your sin, right? When you go to the end of your life, we're all going to redeem our lives for something. And when you redeem your life outside of Christ, the redemption for your life is the penalty for your sin, right? The payment for sin, which is the just penalty, right? We always talk about a just God. We love a just God. You know why you love a just God? Because you love a just judicial system, don't you? When somebody breaks the law, what do you want? You want justice. You want them to pay the penalty. But when it comes to God and we break the law and we break God's commandments, we're like, ah, you know, that's not, God can't do that. That's, a, that's not a loving God. Well, you don't want a loving judicial system, do you? You want a just and love. You'd be nice if we had a just and loving judicial system. But you for sure want a just judicial system. But we also have a just God. And the just God says this, that you cannot just get away with sin. Nobody can just get away with sin. That's not a just God. That's a twisted God. A God that doesn't require people to pay for the penalty of their wrong. But God also says that I will redeem you. That I will pay the penalty. And in return, you will receive the things in which you did not deserve. See, that's the beautiful thing that we have. That in him we have redemption, comma, the forgiveness of sin. But you don't get that on your own. You have to be redeemed. See, that is that in Christ, that if you and I will understand that we are sinners, that in Christ, that you and I would understand that there is a chasm far too wide for you and I to fill in with good works or to fill in with deferred hope or to fill in with all these other cares of the world. Like, we have to realize that chasm's too wide. We can't fill it up with anything to get us to the hope that is stored up for us in heaven. But it is only that in Christ, right, in him qualifying us, in him delivering us, in him transferring us, that we will never be delivered into the kingdom of Christ. And that's why that we take seriously the fact that Christ paid for the penalty that you and I deserve. That's why we, why do we talk about the blood? Why do we talk about Christ dying for us on the cross? Because if he didn't, I have to, right? That's the reality, and here's why. Because there is no forgiveness of sin, according to Hebrews, without the shedding of blood. 
Why is that? Because we have a just God, right? There is nobody who's going to murder someone here on earth who isn't going to pay the price of going to prison. And we say, yeah. But then when we say there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, we're like, why? It's like, because that was the judicial system, right? That is the judicial system was set up. We're so easy to, in this world, in our culture here, to say, yeah, that's just how the judicial system works. But when the God of the universe has set up a judicial system that says, for sin requires death, then we're like, that's just ridiculous. No, it's not. That's called justice. And that's called a God who is all about the righteousness. It's about a God who's all about perfection. And it's about a people who can never get there on our own. And it's about a people trusting in the perfection of Christ who then took our place and died the death that we deserved so that all those that would turn from their sins and trust in the love of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ, that we would have hope. And that's point number two on your outline, is that you need to trust in the means of hope. Hear that? You need to trust in the means of hope. And what is the means of hope? Acts 4 says it this way. In Acts 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, And there is no salvation in anyone else. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among which men must be saved. Do you hear that? There is no other way that men must be saved other than in the name, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this was good news for the Colossians. Remember, we have to talk about the Colossians. This is who the letter was to. The letter wasn't to you and to me. It was to the Colossians. And why did this matter to the Colossians? Because the Colossians were being inundated with all these other things about saying, well, I don't think your faith is sufficient. There's other things you need to add to your faith. There's other things that you need to do to be right with God. And Paul's saying, "Mm -mm, by no means, right? Your faith is in Christ. You trust in the means of hope. And according to Acts, there is no salvation found anywhere else other than in the name of Christ. And I know some of you are skeptics in here, and that's okay. We all were. According to Colossians, we were all in darkness. We all were enemies of God. None of us wanted to consider the destination that hope would take you outside of Christ. None of us. None of us wanted to consider the penalty for our sin, and I get that. And that's why we talk about the skepticism of the gospel here at our church. And like I said earlier, we have this God, right? And that's a, that's a good word in our society, right? People don't mind the word God. We just don't like the word Jesus, right? Most of the world believes in God. Actually, most of the world believes in God. As a matter of fact, 80% of people in America would even tell you they're Christian. Okay, so what we do know is the popular opinion in our society is that God exists. And the great thing about knowing that God exists, most people would say God created everything, right? We all need a creator. There was an uncaused cause, and his name was God, and then God created the universe. So now we know that God created something. Right? God owns the universe. And just like you, when you own your house and your kids walk through the door, you get to do what? Set the rules. Right? You own it. It's yours. You set the rules. And what happens when your kids break the rules in your house? There's a consequence, isn't there? Well, we have a God who created the universe, who then sets perfect moral standards for holiness. And for anyone who does not abide by those perfect standards of holiness are now underneath the discipline of God. Now, God being a, if God were uh, a just God, he would just say, you know what, as soon as you sin, you're, gonna, you're out, you're done. But what a loving just God would do is say this, you sinned against my holy moral standards, but I'm going to make a way for you. And the problem is you can't get to me. You're already too far away. There's no way for you. It's futile for you to try to get back to me. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down, and I'm going to live this perfect life for you in your place. 
and I'm going to be your substitution, that if you would just trust in what I'm doing for you and the hope that I'm extending to you, and you grab onto that through turning away from your own sins by quit disobeying me, by trusting in me, there will be a place for you. There will be a hope for you stored up in heaven. Do you know what, you know what uh, in the beginning of the Gospels where it says that I'm going to send you a son and his name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. It was God saying, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to make a place that if you would just trust in me, that you will be there as well. But we have to trust in the means of hope. I think about it this way. We're all on a ship. Okay? We're all on a ship, and we're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and we all know that this ship is going down. Right? The ship's leaking. It's on fire. Uh, the captain has jumped overboard. Right? I mean, we're, we're in this on our own, okay? And this ship is going overboard, and there is a lifeboat over here on the side. And if you would just go to that lifeboat and you would jump in there, you would be saved. Well, here's what happens when we don't do that, right? When we think, you know what, that Jesus thing, it just, it's, a, it's fine, but like, I just think there are some other ways off this boat. And people are going to be like, well, I, that's, that's definitely a way off the boat. I don't know where else you're going to go. And the skeptic is going to continue think, saying, I hope, I just wish there was another way. If there was just another way, what if this boat didn't sink? Well, the reality is the boat's going to sink. We have no way to get off this boat other than on that lifeboat. And it just, it behooves even the skeptic to consider, is there really a way out of this without that lifeboat? And for you, you, if you're a skeptic in here specifically, it is to consider this. Is there really a way out of this life other than the one way that God had made the way? And that's in Jesus Christ. You see, that's where you always have to get. And even in your mind, you always get up to the line that says, well, what now? Well, God gives us the answer to what now, and the what now is repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus Christ. We can always run around and run around our life and defer our hope and defer our hope, but every single time we get to the biggest crisis in our life, every time that someone's on their deathbed, they're still at the line of saying, well, what now? Well, the hope that Christians have and the hope that the Colossians had was this, that when they got to the line, they say, well, we know what's now. We know that I have a hope that is waiting for me in heaven that is going to be revealed to me when Christ comes in his glory and in his kingdom. And that's the beauty of the hope that we have in Christ. And so what I'm saying by this, with this illustration about being in a boat, we don't need to despise the means for hope. And that's what so many people want to do when they don't want to talk about Jesus, when they don't want to repent of their sins. You're despising the means in which God had made for you to be right with him. Right? You can't say that there is not a loving God out there because the loving God made the way for you. Right? You're not loving by not accepting the way that God had decided for you to be right with him. It's not God's fault that we have neglected and rejected the means of hope that he gave us. And so it is for you and I to say, you know what? I'm not going to despise the means of hope. I'm going to embrace the means of hope. And the way that I'm going to embrace the means of hope is the same way the Bible tells me to. And it's by turning away from my sin, this life on my own. I'm not going to rearrange the chairs on the boat. I'm not going to try to make it comfortable until this thing goes down. I'm going to jump off of this ship into the lifeboat. And my hope is going to be rest secured in heaven awaiting the reign of Christ. <clears throat> you see, step one and step two are great. The great thing about step two is that I know that my hope is secure. The great thing about step number two is I know that my eternity is secure in Christ. But here's a problem that we all run into. And if you check out, you're going to run into this problem too. So don't check out. The problem is, is many Christians would stop here, not realizing that your hope that is stored in heaven has real life implications for you right now. Like the hope that you have should permeate every single thing that you do in your whole life. 
It should permeate the way that you're married, the way that you raise your kids. If you're a kid, it should permeate the way that you submit to your parents. It should permeate the way you live in life, the way you go to school, the way you play sports. Right? It should permeate all those things. It should in, be enveloped in every single thing you do, the hope that is stored up from you in heaven. It doesn't stay in heaven in the sense that it should impact all of your life. And that's what Paul talks about here in the second half of verse 4. Look at the second half of verse 4 with me. In the second half of verse 4, Paul brings up this horizontal implications of my vertical relationship. Did you see what I did there? Right? Our vertical relationship has been, is fixed, right? I'm in Christ. Christ was the propitiation, the substitute for my sin, right? And now I'm right with God. That's great. Those are all good things. Now, what does that mean for here and now? Do I just stand still like this until he comes and gets me? Or does this mean I gotta, there's something about my life that needs to be different? Well, Paul talks about that difference in the Colossians' life in verse 4. In verse 4... He says, when we pray for you, because we do, because we heard of this, that we heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. That's really the the focused verse that we need to pay attention to in this last part of this sermon is this, that because of the hope that they had, these people had a love for the saints. What are saints? The Greek word hagios, which means those who are set apart, which just means it's Christians, okay? It's New Testament word for being a Christian, okay? So he says, you have this love for the saints, this Greek word, right, is important, love, the Greek word for love, because in America, we've also hijacked the word love, right? I love my dog. I love my bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwich. I love my wife. <laughs> Those aren't the same, right? These are there's different kinds of love out there, and that's why Paul specifies the kind of love in which the Colossian Christians and all Christians ought to love their brothers and sisters in Christ, and it is with the word agape, the word agape is a, is a godly love. As a matter of fact, uh, this word is a, means a self-sacrificial and self-givingness of yourself away to others. Right? That's what the agape kind of love is. It's sacrificial. It really means this. Agape love is the regard you have towards Christians because of your love for God. Have you ever considered that? That you say you love God, but when is the last time you truly outwardly loved Christians. Or I'll put it this way, love the church. I'm not talking about this building. This is a Christian youth theater. This is not a church building, okay? But it is a church because you're here. But when have you truly, outwardly, in your faith, and the hope that you have stored up for you in heaven, really loved the people of God? That instead of saying, you know what, that church down the road, they're just the worst. Okay, they might be, but is that loving to really just go tell everyone else about how much you hate the church down the road? I mean, I want you to think about this. You're going to live with them forever. If you're a Christian and they're a Christian, you're not getting out of this life and not seeing these people again. You're going to see them for the rest of your life. And so I say, as a shepherd over this church, to say this, you need to get along because you're going to see each other for an awful long time. Right? You thought having an older brother was bad. You just wait. Okay? We're going to be with each other for the rest of ever. Okay? So get to know each other and forgive one another because if not, I'm sure God, being the good, loving father he is, is going to make that person your roommate. Okay? <laughs> But we need to understand that we have these implications of our faith, and it is the love that we ought to have for our brothers and sisters. Can you imagine a world that's running around right now? I mean, you can because you live in that world that's running around right now. If you poked your head out this door over here, you would just see the world in chaos. Can you imagine a world looking at the church of God, and they're like, you know what? Those people don't even seem like there's a pandemic that just went on. These people don't seem like there's this crazy political climate going on. I just see them over there loving the mess out of one another. Like They're out there just, I mean, I've never seen more sufficiently content people in my whole life. I wonder why. And that's why Paul thanks God for them. Because he says, when that city of Colossae 
when that church down the road in Hierapolis, or when that city down the road in Hierapolis, when that city down the road of Laodicea, cities that were around Colossae, when they see this, they're just going to be blown away. What about if Compass Bible Church here in New Braunfels was that kind of church? And when people in New Braunfels moved here, those nasty Californians, when they move here, okay, they're going to they're gonna get here and they're going to be like, wow, that church. Those people, it's like completely, it seems like they're oblivious to what's going on around them. We're not, right? We're still wise. We're still good citizens. We're still good stewards. We, we want to vote and we want to make our voice known. But you know what's more important than all that? The love that we have for the saints. You see, and here's the reason why we can do that. All right, we talked about agape love. Don't flip to it, but I'll tell you, Matthew 20, 28. We want to know, what is agape love? What does agape look like in Scripture? Well, here's what it looks like. Matthew 20, 28. Even as a son of man, who's a son of man? Jesus, right? Even as a son of man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to talk about the greatest act of agape love that has ever existed in the history of ever? It's this that God had given his life as a ransom for many. I mean, that's what it means to be self-giving and self-sacrificial. And my friends, the church has to look like that. I mean, when is the last time that you got up in the morning and you said, today I'm going to selfly give myself and self-sacrifice, not for the people that I, the people that I want more money from, not, that my, not from my clients, right? Not because I want my wife to love me a little more today or because I want my wife to tell me, how, or my kids to tell me how great of a dad I am today, but because I, want, I need to give a self-sacrificial, self-giving love to the church of God because of my hope that is in heaven. When is the last time you've done that? And that's like, most of the sermon, it would be great for non-Christians and brand new Christians, but what about you Christians who have been here? You've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I mean, do you really give your life to the body of Christ? I mean, do you really give of yourself? I'm not just talking about your bank accounts. I could care less about your bank accounts. I'm talking about your life. I mean, do you really do what the Bible says and says, you know what, these people are going to be with you forever. You think that loving your family is going to be a big deal? It is. What about those people, that family that's going to be with you for eternity? You better get busy loving those people. You better get busy building those relationships because those relationships don't just stop when you die. They're going to be with you forever. Get busy loving each other. And I put it this way in point number three is you need to let hope have its full effect. Right, point three, you need to let hope have its full effect. You know what the full effect of hope is? That you're living that hope out here. The full effect of love is the theme of Colossians, like I told you at the beginning of this sermon, right? As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's the, the hope having its full effect, is that I'm walking in that. It's that I can now give of myself to other people because I'm not so concerned with the stock market, and I'm not so concerned with the value of the dollar today, and I'm not so concerned with my retirement that I'm so involved in, in and of myself. I'm just all about myself. Instead, knowing that I have this hope stored up for me in heaven because I'm saved and I'm in Christ, listen, Great, I want to make sure my family's taken care of. I want to make sure that we're doing all the good things that we need to be doing. But I'm not going to let all of that keep me from giving my absolute self-giving, self-sacrificial love to brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to be actively doing that. You know, and the problem is, and the reason why a lot of people don't want to talk about this, is because it does inform your checkbook. Like, it just does. I mean, you ever really cared about someone without spending a dime on them? No, I haven't, right? When I really care about people, I spend money on them. I mean, that's just what you do. So that, that's one of the parts. I mean, I also just don't spend money on people to get them away from me, right? Uh, that shouldn't be good either. Right? I spend money on people because I love them and because I'm self-giving and self-sacrificial to them. So, of course, it talks about your bank account, but it's talking about all of your accounts, your relational accounts, your equity accounts, and the, the time that you're spending on these things. It should infect, infect, hmm, that's not a good word to use today, is it? Infect. 
It should impact all the areas of your life. And that's what a self-sacrificial love does, and that's what it means to truly let hope have its full effect. Mark 9.35, Jesus says this, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. One of my favorite biblical implications is this. When Jesus came on the scene, he was always talking about, you need to be looking to heaven. You need to not be looking at the things of the earth, you need to be looking at the eternal things. And I have Paul, and he's saying the same thing. Right? And I see the Bible talking about this hope that we're supposed to have. And I'm saying, if the Bible talks so much about this hope that we're supposed to have, it doesn't seem like it's just all concerned about what I can get here. And so what that means, and we're going to get that in 1 Corinthians 2.9. You can flip there while, before I end. Go to 1 Corinthians 2.9. But the implications of this, if God and the Bible is so emphatic about there, then it seems like what's here is not all that great. And actually, Paul says that in Corinthians. He says that right now we see things dimly like a dimly lit mirror. It's like looking in a mirror after you get out of the shower. Like, you know something's there, but you really don't, it just doesn't look what it, like what it's supposed to. Well, that's the kind of life we live as Christians. Even our best life as Christians is like a dimly lit mirror. But, Paul goes on to say, but there will be a time as we see things face to face. Like, as clear as I see you and as clear as you see me, we're going to see life eternal in that perspective. But right now we can't see that. And so it means all the more that we should be living with the hope that we have in Christ now. Because here's what 1 Corinthians 2.9 says. Here's what Paul says. It is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So here's the great thing. God is preparing everything up there that I cannot even imagine. And I'm over here trying to build my own kingdom. The best I can get is a, is a four-bedroom, three-bathroom house, right? I mean, and some of us are like, I'd love that. Yeah, but that's the best you can get, and that's it? That's your hope? You finally get into that house you've always wanted? Then what? What if it burns down tomorrow, right? I mean, but what if the real hope that we have is being stored up in heaven and what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and the heart of man can't even imagine? I can't even fathom it. Like all these things that I'm trying to think about, all the hope and all the good that I want here on earth, you can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Those who are willing to say, I'm going to be servant of all, I want to be last, because that's what Christ commands of me. That's what it means to truly hope in eternity, as I'm not ran into the rat race of this world, that I have this hope that it's steadfast as an anchor for the soul, that I can be immovable and steadfast because I'm rooted and built up in him and I'm established in the faith. You see, at Compass Bible Church, we want to make sure that everyone who calls this church home is rooted and established in the faith, that you're built up, that you're given the resources and the teaching, right, and the discipleship in the community that you need to truly live this life according to what Paul's saying to the Colossians, with this hope for eternity, with this love and community where you can give of yourself knowing that you have a bunch of people around you who are doing the same thing. And that's what we want to do at this church. And through that, that we could be a light to this community, to this state, and to this country, and to the world because of the way that we trust in Christ for our eternal hope. Pray with me. God, we pray now, God, and I pray as a pastor, as a Christian, as a person here that, God, if there's anybody in here that's never repented of their sins and trusted in Christ, that today would be the day for them. 
God, that they would trust in you for the, for the eternal hope. God, for those of us who have even been Christians, but we've kind of just started caring about too much of what's going on in the world, and we've been so concerned and worried about our uh, temporal securities that we forgot that this treasure that is stored up, that is waiting for us, that's imperishable and undefiled and waiting to be revealed to us, God, I mean, what a great hope that we have in such a beautiful eternity. And God, help us not forget the real implications of the way that we ought to live our lives here. That this church ought to be the biggest love fest in the world. God, that this church ought to be people who truly care about each other. And you see them given of themselves, given of their resources, because they love one another. God, help us be that kind of church. Help us be those kind of Christians. That we would show a world what it means to have our hope rest secured in the right place. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this launch. We are looking forward to many more weeks and years and decades to see this church make disciples in this community. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.